I think most of us say yes to anything and everything that by the time something does come up that gets us really excited, we don't really have the, the time and energy to pursue it in a way, which is unfortunate. You know, this the same way I think that you intentionally give white space to a website to, to let it breathe and give emphasis to the elements that are there. I think we all could use a little bit more white space in our lives so that when this, that exciting opportunity does come up, we can actually uh, say yes. You're listening to The Yo Podcast with Rob Hope. Traff is a Canadian designer and digital craftsman with an impressive portfolio of online creations. His journey skyrocketed in 2020 when his minimal iOS 12 icon pack became a viral hit. He amassed a staggering six-figure sum in just six days and has since ranked in upwards of $400,000. Now paved with runway, Traff further leaned into his passions, collaborating on NFTs, forging innovative digital products, and more recently launched a course on exactly how he builds with Framer. We rap about the tech stack behind his course, working solo and staying lean, his dedication to minimalism, creator mental health, and why he's so bullish on the potential of Framer. Yo, Traff, welcome to the show, my man. Yo, Rob, thanks for having me, man. Great to finally do a podcast. You're a guy who digs to focus, and I super respect that. So I'm doing my research on your hometown Montreal and asking who is the most famous person and almost every list had William Shatner from Star Trek right up there <laughs> is Captain Kirk a fair representation of a homeboy of a homeboy yeah I think that's a fair assessment I think that's a fair assessment I think most people would agree were you a Trekkie growing up uh, I wouldn't call myself a Trekkie but I definitely did watch it all Let's just get right into it. Do you want to play a game? Let's do it. Okay, this game is called No Context. Simply shoot back either of the two options I give you. No context given, no explanation needed. You got it. Got it. Let's go. Jack Butcher or MKBHD? Jack Butcher. AI or crypto? Crypto. Black or off-black? Black. White or off-white? Off-white. Golden lo-fi beats or golden phyllo pastry? Lo-fi beats. Analog or digital? Digital. Steve Jobs or Elon Musk? Ah, tough questions. I came in prepared. Steve Jobs. Cryptodes or tiny faces? Cryptodes. NHL or Formula One? NHL. Coffee or tea? Tea. Reading or listening? Listening. Touchpad or mouse? Mouse. And lastly, Framer or Webflow? Gotta go with Framer. So why have you gone all in on Framer, Trav. What <laughs> makes Framer so special? I don't inherently have anything against Webflow. I did use it um, part of my career for probably a year, but Framer was always in the background. I was always using it actually in place of Figma. So I was always preferred it over my interface design tool of choice. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> you hear designer, you think Figma, it's sort of native. But, um, but yeah, I always preferred their simplistic UI and how they approached uh, adding and developing new features. You know, it didn't have the most features, but uh, at least a few years ago. But now it's at a point where I think it's actually comparable to Figma um, and Webflow. It's really, if you know, if, if Figma and Webflow had a baby, it would, be, it would be Framer. And I've been really enjoying it. Yo, this is Framer CEO, Jorn van Dijk. If you are keen to learn more about Framer, tune into Yo! Podcast episode 19. Back to you, Trav. So I took your Framer course. Cheers for the early bird discount. 
Appreciate it. I was kind of blown away at how little fluff there was. In a course about learning to build a framer website, you literally built out the landing page for the course. And it's in a chilled, ultra clear manner. The value is there. Do you feel course creators are overthinking it and even conflating their courses? For sure. And this is a problem that I had myself, right? I, I felt as though what I was delivering was a little bit underwhelming because in the sea of courses, it was much simpler and much straight to the point. But then I thought, you know, and I spoke to a few people about this uh, just to make sure that it wasn't in underwhelming, it was actually helping. And it came to, I came to the, to the conclusion that really people are buying courses because of who's selling them, not, not necessarily or not exclusively what's being sold. So obviously the people taking the course are interested in Framer and they want to learn more. But I think what's more important is that they're interested in learning it from someone like myself. And so if I were to teach it in a way that's not exclusive to me or how I would approach doing something like that, then I think that would just make it disingenuous in a way. Yeah, it's a good take. And um, when you look at how long it's going to take to complete the course, you know, eight modules, we're going to introduce you to Framer and we're going to build out this page exactly like you're showing them exactly what they're going to learn. <laughs> and, you know, I'm big on showing people within the landing page. Won't get into that now, but a lot of courses like we got 52 modules and you look at that and you're like maybe if i don't complete all 52 i won't even be able to call myself a master at this so this felt like very digestible and i feel like that's an underrated selling point yeah and, I, and i'm probably might not be showing that or expressing that as much because at first i started with this crazy com like complex syllabus and I was like, wait, I, instead of just like pick pointing this feature, that feature, this feature, like why not just like compile it together in a way that I would normally build a landing page. So way more digestible, like you said. Another thing that stood out was how minimal the course learning UI is. You know, there's center to video, next chapter arrows in the corners, top right, we've got the frame and remix link. We've got an assets link that just goes to a Dropbox folder. And then there's a logout. It's refreshing. What is the exact tech stack behind this course? Yeah, so to utilize the sort of authentication factor, I used uh, Outseta, outseta.com. That allowed me to provide sort of the gated content. So a user is able to log in and then access a set of sort of a gated page that contains, like you said, the, the videos and those uh, remix links and assets pages. So it was pre pretty much just Framer and Outseta. And then I use uh, Zapier to sort of connect Stripe as well. So after the payment is processed, I'll add the Stripe user to Outseta. And then that will automatically trigger an email from Outseta uh, that you get um, to create your account and access the gated content. So Outseta is it's a monthly cost. It's a once-off price for the course. Did that put you off at all? Right. Saying like you're going to have to pay for this forever on a course that's maybe you know, going to last 18 months being popular? Yeah, my rationale was as long as I'm one sale every month, that will pay off all my expenses. And I'm, I'm fairly confident that I can, I can keep that up. A huge shout out to this episode sponsor, Lemon Squeezy, who I use to power payments on my full network of websites. If you're looking to sell anything online from ebooks to subscriptions to online courses, you can do so with the all-in-one payment platform Lemon Squeezy. 
They also just rolled out their affiliate feature where your audience can start earning a cut by referring their customers to you. There are customizable commission rates, advanced referral analytics, and also automatic payouts to your affiliates by Lemon Squeezy. Have I mentioned they also handle the pain of EU VAT laws? It's been such a weight off my shoulders. Sign up at lemonsqueezy.com to streamline your online payments. So I'm already overthinking my course um, email list segmentation of people who didn't buy it and so on. I'm assuming you didn't even dabble here. No, not even a little bit. <laughs> and why? Because there is money on the table. There's no question. For sure. The way that I look at it is that there's no, I don't think there's like, I'm in any rush. I think, I think especially the fact that like you're doing the most marketing for a course a week, two weeks, three weeks before you launch it. And then once you launch it and then, you know, there's a, there's definitely an uptick in the graph. And then after, you know, a week or two weeks, you'll definitely see that fade off a little bit. And I think that's where I'm at with my framework course. And so now is when I'm, I'm, I'm experimenting with, you know, taking, you know, all the people who have purchased something from me in the past and compiling some, some nice emails and really trying to target them with, with the framework course. So I don't see it as, you know, it needs, it needs to be something that's done immediately, uh, but something that can be sprinkled over the long term for sure. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people realize all the parts that go into actually shipping a course. Like the fact you shipped it alone, is like, you know, a miracle if you actually have other work on the side, if if you're doing client work, et cetera, et cetera. There's only so much energy you have and list segmentation. And am I going to get that right? You know, am I going to email the same people twice? Like that's a lot of stress when you actually want to create a good product. Yeah. I think, I think most of us say yes to anything and everything that by the time something does come up, that gets us really excited. We don't really have the the time and energy to pursue it in a way, which is unfortunate. Yeah. You know, this the same way I think that you intentionally give white space to a website to to let it breathe and let it breathe and give emphasis to the elements that are there. I think we all could use a little bit more white space in our lives so that when there's that exciting opportunity does come up, you can actually uh, say yes. That's gold. So you once quoted spending time on things that'll buy you more time is always a good use of it. Yeah. Which I saved in my little motivation board I have. Without sharing any numbers, how many layers of income do you have from your digital products? Um, I've got the course. I've got some digital products that I sell, uh, framer templates. I've got the icon pack that I sell. I very occasionally take on um, some client work. I, I try to say no to pretty often, just like based on what I just said in terms of white space, I try to keep my time open so that when the ideas do come up, I have the time and energy to pursue them. But outside of that, honestly, it's really that quote. It's it's the things that I've done in the past have bought me time. And I'm sort of living off of those things, right? And, and they were, you know, small to medium-sized wins and nothing, I don't think any anything life-changing, but it buys me enough time to really sit down and think, think about what I want to do next. And I, that's that's what's important to me. It's a great philosophy. So would you recommend to other creators out there that they should diversify their income stream, take many shots, build as many layers as they can, or do you think you should double down on less things? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I think at the start of your career, I think you should be saying yes to absolutely everything and trying as many things as you want. And then as you learn more and more about what you enjoy doing, what you're good at, what people seem to respond to, then that's when you kind of narrow down your focus a little bit on on the select few projects. 
I think that's what most people get wrong is that they try to they try to learn and then start instead of starting and then learning. I think courses are great in many ways. I think they'll, uh, just as one example, I think they'll overcome that initial barrier to entry. But I think there's a lot of people who fall into the bucket of, you know, taking course after course after course and watching video after video after video and then just delaying action, the starting of it, when in reality, that's, that's, that's when you'll learn the most. You've got layers of income, you know, course, there's an element of support there. I saw there was a, there was a higher tier, which offered some sort of support, you know, do you hire anyone to help you with this workload or the tedious work or you completely solo? Also, yeah, I'm doing myself that, I mean, there's a few products that I built in the past, like super was a piece of software that was built on top of notion. Um, that I, I had a co-founder with a develop development co-founder. And then once it grew, we definitely needed a team to, to manage the support requests and things like that. So I think it depends on the scale of things. I think if it's personal projects that I'm launching, then I'll make sure that I build systems instead. Um, so I'll make sure that I'm crafting a well thought out documentation. And that's something that I try and do with my templates as well. Framer templates, like I'll have a page on Framer that lays out everything that you'll need to know in terms of setting up the template and adding your own branding and things like that. So that I don't have to step in whenever there's, you know, common questions. So I'd love to talk about your icon pack, but I'm not going to. <laughs> you earned over $400,000 so far from iOS 12 icon pack. I'm going to link to the Gumroad and the Design MBA podcast. They did a great job. Also, I'm going to link to your blog post, Six Figures in Six Days. Oh, cool. But my biggest takeaway was how you acted fast and went all in once the ball started rolling. I got a question here from Matt Welter. Hey, Traff, quick question. How do you know which projects to work on and how do you vet your project ideas? Thanks. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it's just a shots on goal metric here. I think I think it's a numbers game. I think the more things that you put out, the more that you'll be able to see. And especially when I say put out, I think, I think especially at the start of your career, you should be putting these things and these projects and these ideas and you should be sharing them everywhere you can, you know? I remember at first I was sharing things on whenever I had a piece of design work I was on, they were already on, you know, Dribble, on Twitter, on Behance and all these places. And you would get different feedback from different uh, services and networks. And that would sort of ignite different ideas in your head. But in terms of the icon pack was actually very clear because as soon as I shared these things on Twitter, um, the post itself started to go viral and people were asking about the icons. And so like if people are asking about something in that quantity. I think it makes it very clear what needs to be done next. It's so true. You know, I, I'm not here to speak about my stuff, but just brings up such a memory how I couldn't get my a, a course, a landing page course out the door. This was 2020 and I needed to be accountable. So I was like, okay, got to get motivated. I need to be accountable. I need to say something online. So I, I just said on Twitter, I'm just going to extract a hundred tips in a hundred days leading up to the launch of my actual course. You know, I've got so much content. I'm talking, I was like started in Trello, moved to Notion. So I started this thing off and I was like, yo, you know what? Smart play would be in the opening tweet because I'm going to do a hundred tweet thread. I'm also going to say for anyone not really into Twitter that much, I'm going to do an email drip. If you sign up today, you get tip one. Tomorrow you get tip two. Love it. But it was so funny because I'm not here to release these tips or sell these tips. I'm here to sell the landing page course. And I got to like tip like 30 and I'm just getting these replies. Like people are going, dude, can I please have all 100 tips? And first of all, like they did not exist. They did not <laughs> exist because I sent out the drip like every every day, 9 a.m. America time. You know, I'm stressing 
South Africa, 4 p.m. Like 3 p.m. I'm cutting sentences away because I have to get it in a tweet as well. And also the email drop, I made it super condensed. So I would take, you know, six lines, make it three lines. Did it. Again, that also made the product much better, which I never realized that that would happen either. People loved how digestible and snackable it was. For sure. That's interesting. Uh, very interesting. And then anyway, so here I am, like tip 33, and people are just mailing me going, hey, dude, can I please just pay you? And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> Next day, more, more, more. And eventually what I did is I made a tip number 50 was like, it's about a pre-sale. And then I dropped a tweet just saying for the next 30 hours, it's $30 off. Like I had a little bit of a ring to it and it was just madness. I love it. And I was like, okay, I'm writing an ebook. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's 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 a great story in terms of like creating content for something. And then you realize that people like a very specific thing about that content. And then that sort of leads you. Yeah. Not that you're not going to do the course, but it leads you in a, in a different direction that maybe there's another product in here based on what people are asking for. And I think that's the best part about just shipping, right? You just get ideas, people give you ideas, and then it just so good leads to uh, another great story. There's a takeaway there that I haven't actually acknowledged is that because I was lean and because I was solo, I could pivot. But if you had a team of people and you maybe had a bit of a roadmap, you're like, we got to kind of stick to what we said we were going to do. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe the course would have done well, but this was amazing. And for me, a lot of my green lights are when I get to learn something new. So because the pre-sale did so well, I was like, wow, we got some runway here. Like we can reinvest. So I was like, I'm going to narrate an audiobook. That's how you do it, man. <laughs> so would you call yourself more designer or developer? Designer, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm a very mediocre front-end developer. Frame has kind of given you that that advantage now, especially because you're proficient. Exactly. Yeah, that's part of the things that I love about it. So would you say being a good designer is more beneficial be than being a very good developer when it comes to product creation? That's a good question. I think that being a designer, I mean, I'm a little biased, but I think it is more important because as a designer, you're thinking more than just about what the product is and how it's how it's built and how it looks and feels and how and what the experience is but also how it presents itself and i think the packaging of a product is just as important as the product itself coming from people who don't know what it is you know how do you get people interested and that's that's step one and i think the, the packaging is is just as important at that stage in the product life cycle and that's something that i don't think developers think as much about so yeah refracturing ui ebook by adam and steve they acknowledge that developers struggle with design and they just doubled down on it and they helped everyone just like with core principles and they helped a lot of developers sell their products by just like understanding like, dude, don't make a line length that's the full width of a 21-inch screen. <laughs> it's like this, this stuff, there's a checklist. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a masterclass. I think that's the, that's a prime example of like if a designer and developer duo, uh, best of both worlds. Million dollars in the first month, ebook, no sport. Crazy. <laughs> just back on your super product you know just for context for a lot of other people i think you were 50 50 split with someone it's a website builder tied in with notion you guys offered the caching and the front end notion was the sort of content management in the back end obviously a little magic around there you really had to bank on notion doing well for a lot of designers developers you know people dabbling and trying to create the next best thing for them on their journey and they are questioning if the products are going to be around. What made you confident about Notion that you were like, nah, they're here to stay? Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure I, th I thought that far into it, to be honest. I think one of the main reasons that we piggybacked off of Notion is because this was a problem that I was experiencing myself. 
Uh, and I think that's one of the best ways to, to, to build something. I, I was writing all my blog posts, uh, in notion and things that I wanted to, uh, publish, you know, publicly. And this is not something that notion is, was great at doing. This is not their core value proposition. Right. And so there were a few things that I definitely wanted to change a, the loading speeds and the page speeds and the performance of, of that notion page was, was really horrible. And then the second is that I didn't want to have notions branding all over it. Right. And I wanted to customize as a designer, you want to customize what you're presenting to the world. And so it was very innate in me that like, you know, instead of having to copy all the content from notion, uh, paste it into another web builder and then publish from there, it'd be great if I could just publish from notion. And that, that was the insight. As I had that insight, that's when you discover that other people are experiencing the same thing, right? People were publishing marketing pages for their website, careers pages, things like that. And that was enough to contact a buddy of mine, uh, Jason. And then he liked the idea as well. He was a Notion user and we just built out a very, very early MVP that all, all it did really was add the ability to add your own domain to a Notion page and being able to remove Notion's branding. Awesome start to a product here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See what happens at that point. You haven't over-engineered anything and it's like pretty light to get it out the door. And the validation happened. Exactly. And I think piggybacking off of other products, obviously there is platform risk in a way, but I think it is a way quicker path to product market fit because that community is already there, right? And they already hang out in specific places. Uh, and so it's way easier to reach out to people who are already Notion users rather than people... If I were to talk to people and they're like, what are you working on? I'm like, oh, it's sort of a web builder. It's like, that's a pretty polluted space, right? <laughs> there are web builders everywhere <laughs> and they're behemoths. Wow. And so like you can't compete against web builder, but you can compete against web builder for Notion. Yeah, that's a great take. Let's jump into a second intermission. It's called Overrated, Underrated. Love it. I'm going to give you a topic, a brand, a person. You just need a quick fire back. If you think it's overrated underrated or properly rated you got it got it email marketing overrated justin trudeau overrated brutalist websites properly rated new morphism overrated tobogganing to i don't know how to say this word tobogganing it's like bobsledding oh tobogganing okay <laughs> tobogganing. I, mis I misheard that <laughs> tobogganing overrated the minimalism movement Underrated. Artificial intelligence. Overrated. Online courses. Underrated. To-do lists. Overrated. Derek Sivers. Underrated for sure. Into the typeface. Overrated. Twitter. Underrated. One-page websites. Underrated. Good man. And lastly, NFTs. Think they're overrated. How many NFTs do you own and how many have you minted yourself? Hundreds. Yeah, these are, these are some controversial takes here, some of these, because... <laughs> Context is an important thing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's so difficult. It's very difficult. NFTs especially, right? Because I feel like when most people hear NFTs, they think, oh, monkey pictures, pixelated JPEGs and things like that. And I think they go way deeper than that. But I think that's that's the loudest side of it right now. But yeah, I've, I've definitely, I've minted uh, hundreds and I've sold some. And at this point now, it's mostly a, a collector game for me. So like what, what art that is being released on chain that I like and can interact with and can have some, some control over and can actually own, that's what's interesting to me. Yeah, let's get into the product side, side of things. So would you 
recommend creating an NFT to any designers or even product builders listening out there? Yeah, I think I think if it makes sense. I think uh, there's a lot of people who do crypto and NFTs for the sake of doing crypto and NFTs. But I think if you can make make something interesting out of it, then that's cool. I think you know, you know, Jack Butcher with what what he did with checks and OPEPNs and things like that. I think that's interesting stuff. The fact that you're you're turning you know collectors in a way into artists by interacting with your art project, I think is super super interesting. Something that's never really been done before. If the fact that it's you know scarce and it's got a decreasing supply, gamified mechanics, you know, obviously heavy on the art side, on chain with no other de- dependencies. I think it's all it's all pretty interesting. There's loads of merits. I mean, we talk in economics 101, understanding trends, like why do people want to be a part of these communities? You know, why are they not getting the stimulation elsewhere? Like there's so much to, di- to dive into, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. I'm personally really enjoying the break from crypto taking over my, my Twitter feed. I feel like people are, are getting stuck into building products again, you know? Are we in a classic dip? Yeah, I think so. And is it coming back up? I think it is coming back up and I think it's just now starting to do so. And I think this has been going on with uh, the token side of things in terms of Bitcoin and Ethereum for for a while. You know, you go through bear markets and bull markets and it's been happening uh, every year or two essentially uh, since 2009, 2010. And NFTs were so new that by, you know, 2020, 2021, they were going through a crazy hype cycle because that's when you know, they, they were released in a way. That's when some of the first NFTs were minted, maybe a little bit earlier. And so now we're going through that, essentially the first big major downfall from the NFT market. And I think that's very common. And now everyone's obviously like, oh my God, NFTs are over, it's done, whatever. I think I think the fundamentals are there. I think it's changing in a lot of ways. I think what's what made NFTs popular before or initially may not work right now. But yeah, I think now we're starting to see a little uptick and people starting to gather interest again for sure give me a number i know this is so difficult give me a number in years when mainstream brands are going to take payments with crypto yeah i would say between five and ten years when you're talking about mainstream yeah because i I, yeah i think nfts especially i think there's the crypto side of thing where there's the fact that tokens are you know there's unbreakable terms they're open 24 7 you know, relies on code instead of people for the all the important stuff where co- code will outperform people. Uh, the fact that blockchains are completely open and transparent. So I think there's a lot of benefits there from the token side. From the NFT side, it's like all of the above, but with that sort of art and collectible layer on top of it. And I think NFTs can create like liquid markets for all sorts of illiquid assets. Uh, I think art and collectibles are just a tiny piece of that. So I think it's going to be super interesting how... Uh, people and businesses are going to approach that in five to 10 years. Who knows what's going to happen? Just segmenting into a little bit of, you know, simplicity and so on is that what I admire about your vibe online is you're very much less talk more rock. You know, you don't complain online. You know, there's not a lot of banter. It's just teasers of what you're building. And then it's that sweet product drop. Mm -hmm. Drew Riley asks here, Hey Trav, what habits or philosophies do you have for providing value and building products? Yeah, I love it. Uh, Drew from Trends, right? Yeah, I think he was the one who I helped with on uh, on a landing page that was built with uh, Notion and Super on, in the early days. So he he helped that use case a little bit. So thank you, Drew. Nice. I think value is the key word there. And I think it's, uh, like I said before, I think it's a numbers game. I think it's like, what are you publishing every day? And I think w- like the more that you publish every day, the more that you're going to start to get answers. And I think there's a few things I think that 
The, the unfortunate reality here is I think working hard a lot of the time is not enough. and Working on the right thing will always be more important than how hard you work or how hard you're working. And on a similar note, I think success will happen from continually making small iterative improvements to something that's slowly working rather than building upon something that isn't. I think no matter how hard you could push a certain thing in people's faces, if they don't want it, they, they don't want it, no matter how you package it as well. Um, and I think that's something that I learned for sure. If you're wondering what is up with that break in podcasts, I had a little boy. Meet Ollie. Hey, Ollie boy. <laughs> What's so funny? Okay, but seriously, I got to get back to the edit. Ollie, say goodbye. So in your 100 Simple Truths blog, I'll link to that in the show notes. You say not wanting something is as good as having it. Now, that one hits super hard for me. Um, have you always been a minimalist or did you wake up one day and say, fuck it, <laughs> it's time for change? I think what slowly built up that minimalist side of me is moving a lot as a kid. Uh, so I moved around a lot and every time that I did, it was just a hassle, right? It was like all this stuff. Yeah. We just got to move all this stuff over. And so every time I did, I got rid of more and more and more things until eventually I moved to Vancouver for a small, uh, short uh, design program. And then I moved to SF and then back to Montreal. And so during all those time periods, I didn't want to have a lot of things that can weigh me down that can prevent me from making the next decision of where should I go somewhere else next. And so now I'm at a state where if I want to move, it's not that big a deal. And I think that's that's what's important to me. And it's, there's a few things that I think minimalism, that whole movement blows a bit out of proportion. But I think I think one of those things is that like you you are not your things and your things are not defined. You are not defined by your things and things by definition are replaceable. Um, so I think it's important to just not depend on them. There's so many parallels there with building products online. Yeah. It was just like staying lean, moving fast. Yeah. Like also don't take things to heart. If someone doesn't like what you're doing, it's not an attack to you as a person. Love it. Is there any content, you know, anything you've been reading or anything that comes to mind, the first thing that comes to mind that you'd recommend to someone who's feeling a little overwhelmed? Anything on topic, any book you've read, someone wants to simplify? I think there's so many books on the idea of what really matters and what doesn't matter, especially this is, I guess, in 2015, I went through uh, YC and built a startup in the very traditional sense uh you raise money from investors and it's like now i'm very much on the sort of bootstrap side of things but when i did go through it and looking back at it that was with airborne initial wow that's <laughs> that's crazy because <laughs> eventually we that that turned into spoil uh but airborne airborne was only for a very short period of time so i'm surprised you uh yeah you recalled that that's cool but yeah so my only real gripe with it the sort of like startup mentality and this mentality applies to other industries too, is that everything comes with the sense of artificial urgency as if the world is ending tomorrow. You know, one byproduct of that is that it deprioritizes most people's mental and physical health, which ironically makes everyone less effective. People try and constantly sell you on things that you don't need. I think like, what do we all need more of? I think is sunlight, vegetables, time with family and friends, time outdoors, working on things we enjoy that gives us meaning. I think that the list goes on, but I think we try and convince ourselves and others convince us otherwise. And I think the unhappiest people or the people that have trouble finding their work are the people that, or the people really that have the most, you know, general non-specific anxiety are, are thinking too much and doing too much. And they're lo losing sight of the sort of simple joys of life. 
before the online side of things, I would get your mental and physical health right because those those are foundations. What a great answer to, I'm just asking for a book title, but it's not that simple. <laughs> I guess I got off on a tangent there. <laughs> yeah, but, but really, it's like the book doesn't matter if the, if the foundation's broken. Exactly. And I think that's what most people most people have wrong. So you've solidified your personal brand online to the single name Traff. Is this because you previously shared the same initials as Justin Timberlake and there can only be one JT? <laughs> there can only be one JT. That is true. I think it all started from Instagram when I was starting. I started sharing photos in a very consistent, cohesive style. And that's that's the only place actually that I had the name Traff initially. And I just like the idea of like packaging that branding and style within that name. And so I tried to to take that idea in different places, in different networks. Um, and it's been working out ever since, yeah. It's working well. And you've got that four-letter tr.af, which is ridiculous. How is it an Afghanistan URL? It is. How did you get that? Yeah. And I obviously, I only learned that as I was trying to look for it. There was this website that I used to use. I still use it, domainer.com. It helps you find these sort of like domain hacks because obviously domains are incredibly scarce resource now. Hidden's teeth. So most of the good ones are taken. And so you got to be creative. You got to be willing to do something unconventional. And so I just looked up Traff at one point. I saw that tr.af was available and I was like, let's let's go. So good. I love it. Let's just wind things down. You know, final question. Um, Traff, you bu- you've been building for a very long time. You've seen trends come and go. AI is absolutely everywhere you look. Product times, if you, you don't have an AI product, man, it's like you... You know, you're not even coming to the top five. <laughs> so what advice do you have for people out there that are actually scared to ship or they feel like they're not going to be relevant because of this trend that's got a lot of attention right now? Yeah, I think it is, at least right now, it is a trend wrapped in some solid foundations. And I think, you know, it's an industry like any other. I think right now it's definitely going through a hype cycle. Uh, so people are building all sorts of things that I don't think will last. But I think, like I said, it's it's wrapped in some good fundamentals. I think the chat interface in many ways is here to stay. Yeah. And I think being able to interact with certain products and services through that interface is something that's very interesting. It's something that I think natural language is by definition something very natural to us. So if we can utilize products, uh, maybe not all every product, I think it's going to be still a, a niche sort of subset of products. But if we if we can interact in that medium that's very natural to us with a lot of these products that would otherwise be very complicated to use or maybe hard to find. I think that's that's very interesting. Um, I think what most people are trying to do right now are trying to like, what can I build with AI instead of how can I utilize AI into a product that I would have built otherwise? I think um, lean into it for faster validation for sure. Exactly. Draft, it's been great chatting to you, man. I can't wait to see what you're going to drop next. How can your podcast listeners follow your journey online? It's it's nice to finally chat, just to back up a little bit. I think I think I like back in the early days of One Page Love. I remember that's how I just used to validate a lot of my product ideas. I just threw up a, a landing page. Yeah, man. I used to get featured on One Page Love. I used to get all sorts of inbound. So it's nice to circle back uh, and finalize with this. This has been fun. I was looking at your author profile. You've done some things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 99% of them haven't shipped, but you know, that's part of the game. <laughs> it's totally part of the game. So it's a one underrated thing. I, I don't even want, I don't even advertise this that much. 
you know, end of the podcast, there's some core people listening. To get featured on One Page Love for, you know, the fee that it costs to list now is like got to be the highest ROI online at the moment. People have told me this so many times, like you will get a thousand designers and developers to your website for like 20 bucks. Dude, a hundred percent, hundred percent. It's crazy. Anyway, I'm definitely not promoting that though. It's like you need to organically find it and then, you know, we'll make it happen. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it exactly. is crazy. Like cause you can advertise on a newsletter for 200 bucks and you're not going to get a thousand people. No, agreed. No ways. Yeah. No, it's definitely very targeted. Yeah. In terms of finding me online, uh, tr.af, uh, everything that I'm working on, you'll find on there. And then at Traff, pretty much everywhere. I see you redesigned your one pager. Looking good. A couple of pixel effects in Framer. Yeah, yeah. It's the designer uh, drawbacks. Like every every year you got to redesign your website, you know. Oh, you're not relevant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so good. Okay, awesome. Here is a smooth lo-fi beat to get everyone into a productive mode. Take care, Traff. Great to chat to you. Great catching up, man. Take care. Thank you. got this far in the outro beat you are definitely one of my people please email my people at robhope.com i'd love to send you something small thanks for tuning in and i'll catch you in the next yo podcast